0: the Feminist Coffee Hour podcast. You can visit our website at FeministCoffeeHour.com, send us an email at FeministCoffeeHour at gmail.com, and tweet at us at FemCoffeePod. We're tackling the political urbers from the feminist outer boroughs of New York City. I'm Elizabeth.
1: And I'm Karen.
0: And today on the podcast, we have a very special guest. Why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Hi. Thanks so much for having me. My name is Lindsay Beierstein, and I'm an investigative journalist, also from the Outer Boroughs, from uh, Brooklyn. I am a um, documentary filmmaker as well. I just wrapped uh, my first uh, documentary about abortion access. I also work for the Sidney Hillman Foundation as an awards coordinator. We're a journalism awards foundation. That's about it.
0: Thanks for coming on the show today, Lindsay. So can
2: you tell me about this movie that you just finished making, this documentary? Sure, we don't have a title yet. It's the story of two abortion clinics in red states, one in North Dakota and one in North Carolina. And essentially what we were looking at is difference that relationships with the police make in terms of how accessible and safe and pleasant it is to access abortion care. So in North Dakota, you've got a clinic. It's called the Red River Women's Clinic. It's this kind of haven surrounded by really intense anti-choice activity. They have a lot of people sort of piled up on the sidewalk, but everybody you can get through. The escorts just whisk people into the building. And once you get inside, it's kind of this haven of of nurturing, respectful, wonderful care. And it's just things are going really well there and what makes all the difference is that they have a downtown community resource officer who's actually accessible. The department decided, the Fargo PD decided that they were going to make it a priority to actually serve and protect all the downtown business owners, including the one that provides abortion. So they've got a resource officer that uh, can receive texts and phone calls and has a really good relationship with the clinic and the staff and the escorts who work outside and she can come by whenever. And when you go there, it's just amazing. Like people, it's a very difficult kind of space to defend, it's in an old downtown core, so it's just like one tiny skinny sidewalk leading up to a record store and a burger bar, and like they could easily choke it off if there was, the protesters could easily choke off access if the police weren't really proactive. But they make sure that the sidewalk stays clear so everybody gets to express their First Amendment rights and everybody gets to get their abortions and everything's pretty much okay. It's kind of tense out there sometimes, but it's not the end of the world. Everybody, you know, the protesters, so they say the exact same thing. The police are respectful to us. They enforce the rules. They make the rules clear, and we're happy with what's going on. So then you, see, you get the exact same thing from the escorts saying, yeah, the police are clear and respectful, and, you know, the protesters are annoying, but they're not frightening or dangerous, and we can do our job, and everything's good. And then there's North Carolina where it's called the Preferred Women's Health Center and it has been besieged by anti-choice protesters and sometimes they get up on a busy Friday or Saturday they can get up to two or three hundred people even if there's not a special event and there have been special events, we weren't there for one, where up to a thousand people, Cities for Life kind of came and brought about a thousand people and some drones which was blatantly illegal. They were taking drone photos and putting them up on their website and the police didn't do anything about it. Of of the patients. Of of whatever they could happen to see, so presumably the patients. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or at least people's cars. This place is just a complete, it's just a clusterfuck because the police won't do anything. And the worst part about it is that these protesters will set up with their amplified sound systems and just kind of bombard the building with sound. And there are many layers of concrete inside this building. Mm -hmm. And you can sit there, sitting in the back room in the office trying to do interviews, and you can just feel things rattling because they're out on the PA just yammering about how you should have your rapist baby and stuff like that. And it's just like being under siege and it appears to be illegal or at least deeply unfair how these permits are awarded because They've got a whole network of volunteers who are sending out hundreds and thousands of requests on their computers. We went to this one girl's house at midnight and filmed her, sending out hundreds of requests to the city because the rule is that the first come, first serve for the day of the permit. So if you apply, if yours is the first over the transom, you're supposed to get the amplified sound permit. And if the clinic gets it, they don't broadcast anything. They just have a day of silence. Mm -hmm. But if the, the protesters get it, they just get on the mic and yell all day and play music and do whatever. And it's just really exhausting and demoralizing for everyone. But it seems like the clinic people always get it. And we're trying to do a Freedom of Information request to see if we can actually prove that anything is... You mean the
1: protesters always get it?
2: Oh, yeah, the the anti-choice protesters Mm -hmm. always get Mm -hmm. it. And then the police come and they won't show you the permit as they're enforcing it. They'll just say, oh yeah, we have a permit and we can, you know, that these people are not in violation. And there's this catch-22 because they will come out and do a noise reading, but the way the terrain is set up, they can always be seen. So the police will show up and then they'll turn it down and they'll come and try and do an unobserved reading from the elevated ground above, but they can be seen in all directions and so they turn it down. And so they never get a violation. And I interviewed one police officer who said, yeah, you know, I've I've written four tickets over the entire time I've been policing here and none of them have ever gotten before a judge. I don't know what even happens at that stage. Like once a violation is,
1: once it's ticketed, it didn't survive legal process either. Wow what is the ticketing legal process in that locality if it's 75
2: decibels or above that's considered being in violation mm-hmm. and then they can write a ticket i'm not actually sure what the process is beyond you know the, the time when the police officer writes the ticket and you know what happens between that and ordinarily they would go to court to defend the ticket and mm-hmm. then the person mm-hmm. would show up and they'd have a hearing but i do not quite know what happens in between the ticketing and court hearing that makes it stop. I mean, presumably the city attorney intervenes or something, but I don't know that. Wow. I've been
0: a clinic escort in New York state and it's very different. We've never had more than I would say 40 or 50 protesters at a time. But what I was would be interesting to ask you about is you're talking about these clinics' relationships with the police department. And I remember people at the clinic would say, you know, it's important to have a good relationship with the police, of course, and also with the local government. And I was never really sure... Why? Because I would think, well, New York State sets the abortion laws. But that's exactly why. Because they would write the policies about who can have a megaphone.
2: Yeah, and and what counts as being in violation and how to interpret all those laws. Because I talked to one of the anti-choice protesters and he had the city attorney's number on his phone. And there's something improper about that. The city attorney is a public official. But the city attorney is the person who determines all the little minutiae of what's considered in violation. And the police answer to him because the police don't really know the in depth you know, they have to be looking to civilian guidance to say what the statute actually means like there was a dispute while we were there about well you know you're only supposed to have one sound system but can you have two microphones that go to that sound system what if you have two actual sound systems can you have them uh, and like the law is really basic and bare bones about this stuff so they need a lot of interpretation it makes a lot of sense why you would want to be friends with the city attorney and i don't know for a fact that, this, that daniel Parks of cities for life the guy i talked to is friends with the city attorney but it seems like they have a much better channels of communication than the abortion clinic had because the abortion clinic was trying to call the same number and never got through on that particular weekend that we were there. And I don't know if um, Cities for Life called that weekend, but the abortion clinic just cannot, you know, the city attorneys have like a brick wall for them. They're not really getting anything out of them. But
1: I got the impression that there's very open avenues of communication
2: on the other side.
1: Had they been attempting this before and they had hit a wall or have they not considered it because it, it seems so on its face? That there is collaboration. They're
2: just, well, the, the woman who's running the clinic now, her name's Cala, and she's 26 years old. Her family founded a chain of abortion clinics that are all still running the Preferred Women's. And there's some in Georgia and some in North Carolina and, and maybe another state, too. So she just took over fairly recently in the last couple of years. So she's sort of building these relationships anew, just her. But also, I feel like it's just they've always been kind of very much keeping to themselves, like her parents, he would do a very kind of old school model of we're providers, we don't want to be involved with politics, we don't want to be mm-hmm. involved with volunteers and escorts, we don't want to be involved with any of this stuff, we're just playing our respectability politics and providing first rate healthcare. Right. And that was good in some ways because it did keep them as a very low profile, so mm-hmm. they were able to do this for many years, just kind of being on their own, doing their own thing, just keeping their noses clean. But at the same time, when anti-choice activity stepped up, they didn't have anybody, they have to build all those relationships. Now, Cal is kind of seeing and mm-hmm. that's why she invited us as a film crew, I think, to come and document what was going on because they're just sort of, even in the embryonic phases of developing their escort and uh, their escort program and their uh, counter-protester program. So that's all very new in the last several months that they've been developing that. Counter-protesters don't have best yet. But they're oh. thinking of fundraising on their own to get their own vests, but, Yeah, do you want to talk about the, the significance of the vests? The escorts have vests so that they're easily visible to uh, to the patients and to their fellow volunteers, so everybody knows who's, who's approved to be there and that they're working their shift and that they're accessible to help. In North Dakota, they've got pale blue vests. They look sort of like UN peacekeepers.
0: <laughs> I can see that. So when was this uh, documentary filmed? When? Oh, yeah. in the fall of 2016,
2: okay, back from my last shoot in North Carolina, just before the election.
0: I guess you wouldn't have that much of a, a basis of reference, because that was your first time in both of those cities. But do yeah. you feel like as the election got closer, things were ratcheting up on the front of clinic defense? And You could definitely feel that there
2: was, you know, sort of rising intensity. Like a proxy and, war. Yeah, or at least that everybody was just really hyped up about what was going on politically and felt like, you know, there was just a lot at stake. And I was texting with one of the women that I met in North Dakota, who is an escort and was working at the clinic when we were filming, and she said things have gotten a lot nastier out on the front lines in North Dakota, in Fargo, more intense than they were when we were there since the election, that it's really been powered some people. And you said something about 40 days of life? Yeah. So that was sort of the initial concept. We're doing a documentary, Uh, Jody Jacobson, who's the CEO of Rewire.org, which is the organization that funded the documentary, I've been writing for them for many years. Originally, they were RH Reality Check, and I've been there since the early years of RH Reality Check. But uh, Jody and Mark Folletti, the head of multimedia at Rewire, came to me and said, would you like to do a documentary? I said, oh boy, I would love to do a documentary. And they're like, okay, the concept is 40 days for life and we have a budget to go to a couple different locations. We want to see what's going on during 40 days of life. So we did some research and we found out that, well, 40 Days for Life itself is pretty boring. I mean, it's the sort of most corporate, generic kind of silent vigil, you know, non-interventionist kind of anti-choice protesting that there is. So we needed something that was a little bit more dramatic. So we, focus- we just focused on places that had the worst, sort of, who's the best case scenario in terms of your relationship with the police and your relationship with protesters, and who's the worst case scenario? And it became pretty clear that these two were our biggest contrasts. I thought that
0: was very interesting when I looked into that, because I had seen... 40 Days for Life protests, some Catholic organizations in the Northeast do that, as in 40 Days of Lent, they protest abortion clinics, which has a very bizarre spiritual significance, I think, as more of a liberal, humanistic, religious person, we'll get into that later, but they were doing 40 Days before the election protesting. I, the look on Karen's face, you can see it now. <laughs> the, the, idea, the
1: confused, confused puppy fans. <laughs> the, the, the idea of taking
0: the forty days that Jesus spent fasting in the desert before his crucifixion, and people celebrate that as having some spiritual significance for Christians, versus forty days before the presidential election in the United States, to me is frankly s- such a bizarre mix of religion and politics. And I say that as a Unitarian Universalist, a member of a denomination that does a ton of politics, but just that was just
2: well, so confusing every, to me. They you know, like do the spring one and then they get a fall one, and no. I'm sure it wasn't coincidental, I, mean, I think they've been doing it since 2005, I'm sure it wasn't quite coincidental that they decided to have a fall one that would, you know, sort of overlap with, they would tell you it, wasn't, it didn't have anything to do with the election, it was just so popular in the spring, it's like, let 2.0. It's just the strangest (laughs) one of the strangest things I've heard, and I've you know
1: know, known about these
0: protest movements for a very long time. Well,
1: I imagine going to like a street party with your friends where you yell at people is a lot more fun than not eating chocolate.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I have seen these people and the the emotion on their faces when they really get going, but I can't imagine what it's like to
2: hearing that through a megaphone. It's really oppressive. I mean, we were up with a scene in the movie where we go up to sort of the back 40 behind the abortion clinic, mm-hmm. which is really far away from the sidewalk because the is mm-hmm. are separated from the clinic by a fairly large expanse of land because it's on private property up on a little hill separated by a driveway. So they're pretty far from the front door, but then we get all the way up to the back door on the exact opposite side up the hill. The administrator and her security guard are trying to fix the fence, which has been apparently kicked down partially. And you can still hear them out on the on the megaphone screaming and yelling about you know this and that from all the way down on the street and it's just it's just intense we didn't go into the treatment rooms while they were doing but, but we're told that yeah you can hear that sometimes when you're just in the stirrups in the treatment room it's really intense i would donate for soundproofing abortion, right
0: <laughs> i mean i know you gotta bomb well, proof them first but soundproof them mm. also that's never something i considered
2: and it's pretty well soundproofed in many layers of concrete, so it's just like, I don't know what they could do even to, to soundproof it even more. When is this movie coming out? Well, we're just in the last couple of weeks of production. We're basically, we've basically got to find a title, and we have to find someone to uh, mix the sound, because sound is such an important part of the storytelling. We want to make sure that mm-hmm. uh, everything is, is mixed as properly as it can be, so that people get the full experience as much as possible, like they would have had being there. And so that's like a couple more weeks and then we're going to take three or four months to send it to film festivals and see if we can get it screened in various places. We're hoping to have uh, screenings in Charlotte, North Carolina and Fargo, North Dakota so that we can screen it with the people who helped, who we came to observe and helped us make the movie. We're very appreciative and it'll be really fun to watch the movies in those communities. Maybe some anti-choices will come out too and we'll have a discussion. It'll be cool. And then we're going to release it for free online at rewire.org streaming so that everybody will be able to watch it in the comfort of their own
1: homes. That's really exciting.
2: Yeah. I'm really excited about it. It was a wonderful opportunity.
1: Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I'm so curious. What would be a question that you would want to hear answered by an anti-choicer?
2: Oh, well it's funny we spent a lot of time people kept asking us maybe did pre-screenings of the movie and one of the big pieces of feedback got was why aren't you talking to more anti-choicers and the honest answer was well we spent a lot of time talking to them but it was so resolutely boring
1: what was so boring about it oh
2: well they would just redirect every question back to the babies the babies the babies that mm-hmm. everybody was always the same and it was just always the same answer they did like talking about fasting that was something I just felt like I could sort of relate to them about, because, you know, everybody's been on a diet. Like, what's that like fasting for 40 days? And people would tell me about the, their special kombucha recipes and stuff like that.
1: Interesting.
2: So but they, didn't really,
1: they, they would fast during the 40 days for yeah.
2: life. And for some people that meant, you know, cutting out TV or cutting out Facebook. Like fasting okay, could like be, cut, you know, mm-hmm. sort of disciplining yourself in any particular way. But some people actually did cut out sort of all solid food or all solid food during the day.
0: And these protesters, were they out there every day or every Saturday or
2: seven days a week? In Fargo, they're mostly out on Wednesday. I mean, for 40 days, they would have sort of an outpost, you know, sort of skeleton crew parked outside the door more often during the week, sometimes 24 hours a day. In recent years, like, they had scaled back this year compared to last year, where they literally had somebody outside the building, at least one person sort of holding the fort, you know, 24 hours a day for at least part of the 40 days. In North Carolina, they've got people out there Six days a week usually, because mm-hmm. they do abortion six days a week. Mm-hmm. So they didn't. They, it didn't seem like there was as much of a pretense of camping out 24/7 there as mm-hmm. there was in Fargo. But I think it kind of varies community by community. 40 days is all over the United States. Actually, all over, all over the world. They've got outposts in Mexico and Canada, and you can go on their website and see all the different vigils that they have. But it's a fairly extensive sort of social movement.
0: So you, you filmed in, in Fargo and in, in Charlotte, and did you talk at all to the people who worked in the clinic about, like I mean, do they run into these protesters in their day-to-day life? I mean, they I won't do. go to a Knights of Columbus meeting for that reason with my Catholic family members. That, cause I, Would you
2: ordinarily go to a Knights of Columbus No,
0: meeting? but I mean, no, <laughs> I, I have a Catholic family member who invited me to, to some social event that yeah. was... Organized by the Knights of Local Knights of Columbus, and I know that they also organized. I was clinic like, can you go to and the, it, it was some kind of dinner dance or something like that <laughs> for the St. Vincent de Paul charity, but it was overlapped. And I just said, I don't want to run into protesters that I see as a clinic escort outside of that space. But I grew up on Long Island, very large suburban sprawl. I, you know, I, I live in in Queens, so it's 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 big. There's lots and lots of people. I won't. Bump into these people? Did the-
2: oh yeah, people were people were concerned about that, and it did happen. I mean, especially the, the administrator Calla, said, you know, she sort of worries about you know the grocery stores just being known around town as Calla, the abortion provider. And as a young single woman, it's challenging for her because she would really like to date. She's relatively new to Charlotte. She moved there fairly recently from Raleigh, you know, to take a more hands on role at the clinic in Charlotte, and. You know, she's got this incredibly busy job administering this, you know, network of abortion clinics, and also she would really like to date, but it's hard in a small town where
1: a lot of people are anti-choice. So I'm curious also to hear more about what these protests look like beyond just a pervasive sound. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I imagine there a small number of these people are the ones managing the PA system. What is it? for the experience of a patient coming in, what are, what are they walking through? What are they seeing?
2: So in North Carolina, they would set up the PA sort of down by the base of the driveway so everybody would have to drive past them as they mm-hmm. went up the hill into the private parking lot where they'd get escorted to the building. And the old white men guarded the PA system very jealously. They seemed to be the ones who had the permits. And there's this one dude not quite so old his name's Ante who has been arrested for doing things like disrupting prayers at mosques and things like that. You got to look up exactly what Ante was arrested for, but he and his daughter Christian Sugar, that's her real name, oh my goodness. and his wife disrupted some kind of Muslim prayer, maybe it was in a legislative body, I'm trying to remember. But He's often on the PA system ranting about rape and he's this just this really creepy looking guy. And
1: what are the kinds of things he says about
2: rape? Uh, he says things about, you know, how it's a blessing, how you should really just go ahead and have your rapist baby because that's really what God so intended that we say that oh yeah yeah things like that he also say things about you know everybody in this building hates you God hates you the devil hates you and your descendants like serious creepy stuff and the movie ranting about having you rape this baby is Daniel Parks from cities for life and he's talking about well you know I knew this lady she conceived a child in rape and she thought you know this was a terrible thing but then she turned that frown upside down she's got a wonderful baby today you can have a wonderful baby who cares if it was rape? what is cities for life Citizens for Life is the main anti-choice group in Charlotte that organizes these rallies. They have outposts around in different parts of the country too, but the Charlotte chapter is particularly active. I don't know that they have any particular ideological or practical that makes them stand out compared to other anti-choice groups that are just really well organized and well-established in Charlotte. And Daniel Parks directs that one.
1: And so these people are on the PA every day? Every day, yep. Yelling about it. It shouldn't matter that it was
2: rape. And and sometimes it's it's just a small nucleus of people who are, that they're the only ones there. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some seminarians will come out, teenage boys who are, you know, maybe young college, like late high school, early college age, they look to be from the local local cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> local seminary and then there are the ultrasound buses there's, some, there's at least one or two the big purple bus that offers free ultrasounds that parks right down the road from the clinic mm-hmm. when they try and wave people down and they'll say things like oh make your appointment go faster we'll give you the ultrasound
1: and so they course, misrepresent themselves as being they imply part of that
2: they're a the medical clinic. facility and that they're giving people real diagnostic tests they may well be giving people real ultrasounds they probably do have a real ultrasound machine in there but What's actually going on is that they want to like show people the heartbeat of the baby. Like you, you would be a murderer if you got an abortion now.
1: I love the heartbeat thing. Yeah, two heart cells in a petri dish have a heartbeat, <laughs> but I think that you would not call that a living thing. <laughs> it may be alive, but it doesn't mean it has rights.
0: But it doesn't look like a person. Like I, I don't a big like the
2: census form. No, I, I, <laughs> I mean I, I remember my
0: first week, my first. 10-week appointment when I was pregnant, and they showed me the picture of my son, and it's just a little... I had a hard time thinking of that as a baby, because it looked so alien. Mm -hmm. To me, you know, it was very strange. It was more like it was an idea of a baby than Mm -hmm. an actual...
2: Was it kind of, like, jarring that this thing's making me feel so different and has upended my life so much and it's still so tiny? And- <laughs> I was lucky because I didn't really have a lot of mornings. Oh, good. Yeah, a little bit. So, but at 10 film, weeks, you don't feel totally different?
0: Depends on the person. Mm-hmm. Some yeah. people do right away and some people, you know, I think it's genetic. But we yeah. can have someone else on to talk about that. Okay. Yeah, we've said that. Mm-hmm. Just as an aside, we mm-hmm. want to have, like, sexual health educators on the show. Hey. If
2: you know any, tweet Ooh. us. So, the patient going in will have to pass by the. At least one giant ultrasound bus, sometimes two, and then there'll be sort of the they often form sort of a, a cordon on the sidewalk down below that people have to walk through. And then they're kind of assorted freelancers that come by and just do their own anti-abortion thing. They may not be affiliated with Cities for Life for 40 days. They're just people who are out doing... Sometimes there are students from the local Catholic school. When we were there on the big <coughs> Saturday, they brought a lot of kids out from the local school, mm-hmm. often in their Boy Scout uniforms. It's just kind of a circus-like atmosphere is what I would... The way I would describe it, and then the forty days bus showed up, and then there were all the forty days people and they are matching t shirts and It's a very beautiful, kind of isolated suburban environment in Fargo. It's all very much squeezed right downtown mm-hmm. but in charlotte it's they've got this uh this nice little lake that clinic is off kind of in out in the middle of nowhere, so there's a ton of room for protesters to assemble. I see it's a very beautiful. We were there all the leaves were changing colors and it was just this really nice nice setting where, which would be a nice place to go get medical care if it weren't completely mobbed by these crazy protesters and the thing that they do is they come out right of people's cars it's dangerous. Like people are not supposed to be in the road. The police yelled at us to get out of the road. We were just standing there filming things we weren't even like in the middle of the road. We were just kind of just off the sidewalk. And they yelled at us because it was not illegal for us to be in the road. But the protesters are coming right up of people's cars and like trying to hand leaflets through the windows and stepping awfully close to moving the it was just completely unsafe and scary. Mm-hmm. A protester got in front of our cars we were just driving to the clinic. We almost
1: hit them. They assumed you were patient?
2: Yeah, I think so. But Mark had to slam on the brakes to make sure that nobody was hurt. It was really a nerve wracking.
1: That sounds scary. So, so your car drives past these buses. People are coming at your car. Yeah. There's men talking and about how... And strolling up to your to... car. Not, they weren't <laughs> right. throwing themselves at the <clears> car. But... Right. Right. Uh, trying to shove leaflets in your window. Yeah, trying to shove
2: leaflets in your window and then you've got somebody on mm-hmm. the PA saying, if you're in the clinic, you can come out, we'll save you, we'll help you. B-b-b-b-b- weird stuff. My daughter I had a biracial baby and it's okay. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> that's
0: not the place. Grab
2: this, grab this. Don't afford your baby just because it's biracial. You <laughs> we totally rolled with it. It was fine.
0: Oh my god. That's apparently why Richard Nixon was pro-choice, actually. <laughs>
1: Wow! Yeah. I can totally believe that. <laughs> Intersectionality is real. <laughs> All right. No, I mean, in the
0: opposite direction. Well, like I, just, I know. Just make,
1: it's
2: like his no biracial grandbabies insurance policy. I think on
0: one of the Nixon tapes, he said something like, "Well, abortion, I could understand if it's a you know a white mother and a black baby or something like that." Like he yeah. he actually says that. We'll link to it in the show notes.
2: I can totally believe some horrible things in those tapes.
0: Yeah. So, Lindsay, my other question for you is that um, I know that Planned Parenthood has a certain stance on Mm counter-protesting, which is, please only do it if we ask you to. Mm -hmm. These private clinics, were there counter-protesters? Did they feel okay
2: about it? Were they organized? The clinic in Fargo strongly discourages counter-protesters of any kind, and they have a very strict non-engagement policy for their escorts. The escorts are told the protesters are ghosts. Don't interact with them in any way. Don't react to anything they do. Don't touch them, don't interfere with them. Just focus on walking the patient to the clinic. And that works really well. If I were running an abortion clinic, I would encourage that policy for my escorts too, because it just seems way better than what happens in Charlotte and I don't want to judge anybody who's participating because we met the counter protesters, we hung out with them. They're really great people, and the clinic is sort of left to fend for itself because the police are not doing their jobs. Mm-hmm. So, but their counter protesters do engage. They get up and they, I'm not in a violent way, but you know they'll, they'll get very close with their signs. And they'll stand behind the protesters as they're on the mic and hold signs over their heads. And you know it's a very volatile, and sometimes combustible situation where people are very close to each other. People are very worked up, mm-hmm. and the counter- the anti-choicers are pretty nasty like I think we saw uh, an anti-choice protester push one girl she has pinker hair her name's Haley and um, you can see her in the movie we did, we did not get footage of that, that made its way to the documentary but um, I was standing nearby and it's always hard to tell but it looked like one of the counter protesters was behind her and pushed her forward into the street she wasn't hurt mm-hmm. but she was a little shook up it was mean, just a bad bad scene where all these people were just running around with signs getting in each other's faces and yelling and sc- the counter protesters brought <clears> whistles <throat> they're trying to disrupt the people on the mic the protesters are yelling yeah get away from our stuff and everybody's just getting really mad and it's like mm. this is not going to end well
1: no,
2: like i think everybody not. was keeping it together for like you bring the camera into any <clears throat> situation and it changes it no. but as the police were always saying it's the fundamental problem of policing they're doing something and then you show up and they're not doing it anymore i worry like i as to like where, where that situation in north carolina is going if something doesn't change because somebody's going to get hurt I know that in New York State, the law is that
0: you can't block a driveway. Is that the same law?
2: I think so, yeah. Yeah. The microphone people set up right next to the driveway. Ante parked in front of the driveway and Cal had to get him to move his car, which was emblazoned with, Islam is a lie, homosexuality is a sin.
1: Hmm. I've seen that sign in other
2: places.
1: Wow. The phrases together are part of the same sign? Yeah, and then the last one,
2: it's Islam, homosexuality, and abortion on the same sign. They see... All
1: three seem <laughs> entirely unrelated. It's
2: like, it's like their version of intersectionality.
1: I see. Is it like... We are <laughs> woke in all the matrices. It's like a sign that they're
0: like, in this house, we believe that climate change is real and Black, uh, yeah. Black Lives Matter and
1: right. we, we,
0: women's rights are human rights. I see.
1: All right. I think it was interesting what you were talking about with, like, the difference between keeping your nose clean and just doing your job and keeping your head down and being a good citizen versus this kind of movement towards we do have to be involved with local government we do need to involve be involved with local police or local enforcement I feel like I'm starting to see that shift in a lot of liberals nowadays attending town halls like yeah this feeling that like I do need to be involved locally I can't just trust that if I do things the right way things will continue moving in the right direction and I think There's some parallels there. Yeah, I mean,
2: I think that people are increasingly realizing in all kinds of spheres of life that you have to be organized. Mm -hmm. But that's one thing that the right wing has that they've been cultivating for decades is real organization. I mean, these anti-choice groups can turn people out every day for not just... And on any given day, but every day for months and years at a time, because they're organized. They're organized through churches, they're organized through conservative media, they're organized through the Republican Party apparatus. And a lot of the institutions that used to organize liberals are not as robust as they once were, like unions. So I think the left has to rediscover ways to be organized in their own communities.
0: I was going to say I hope a lot of people watch this film, because a lot of people that I know even people that I know that are explicitly pro-choice that might give to Planned Parenthood don't know the extent to which these protests at clinics impact abortion access or impact mm-hmm. the day-to-day life in a, in a town. Like,
2: we saw they? at least one per- we saw one person that we know was you know turned away, was freaked out by the protesters. they were swarming her car, and she came around once, and she was scared off, and then she came around again, and I really admired her for making that second stab at it because it's hard. And then she drove away, and we we're talking to the, the clinic staff, and they're saying, yeah, you know, we see women get scared off, and sometimes they come back, you know, two, three weeks later, and it's too late. You know, we can't give them an abortion, or they don't have the money, or they've had to come up with a whole bunch of extra money because they've passed some, you know, pregnancy milestone at which we have to give them a more expensive procedure. Mm-hmm. And the clinic in North Carolina serves women, a lot of women from the rural Carolinas, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. often, you know, have never, literally never driven in a city before. Having to navigate a bunch of pe- strangers jumping in front of your car is an even bi- it would be a big deal for anybody, especially during a stressful time, but if you've literally never had city driving before and your introduction to city driving is trying to navigate people leaping in front of your car, that's just horrifying and traumatizing on a whole different level. Yeah, I could imagine where can people find your work, Lindsay? At rewire.org, or you can just Google Lindsay Byers I write for various publications. So. And I host the radio show Point of Inquiry, so it's pointofinquiry.org. Are you on Twitter? I am at How Can you spell that? B-E-Y-E-R-S-T-E-I-N.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at Miss Cherry Pie, P I like the number pie.
1: And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Karen, like U H K R E N. Thanks so much for listening political flavors feminist coffee hour podcast theme song is making it hard by bridget ellsworth you can listen to her music at soundcloud.com slash bridget ellsworth and you can listen to her other songs there as well and if you like what you hear you can give her a like or even a follow